0: Listening to Episode 6 of Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper, written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 12, Diurnia Orbital, December 20, 2372. Between lunch mess and the details of helping Gwen get established on the Agamemnon systems as captain, then helping her verify that my codes were inactive, "'Followed by an extended goodbye chat with Gwen and Avery on the mess deck with requisite coffee. "'It was nearly fifteen hundred before I was ready to leave the ship. "'I should have realized that something was going on, "'because Gwen kept looking over my shoulder at the passageway outside. "'Eventually she saw what she was looking for, "'and I heard a soft whomp, like a duffel bag hitting the deck behind me. "'I turned to see Miss Arione standing at the door of the mess deck, "'her duffel on the deck beside her, and a look that was part challenge, part plea. Avery chuckled, and I turned to find Gwen and Avery both grinning at me. Gwen said, You're not the only one with surprises today, Ishmael. What's this, then? Your new crew. I blinked, trying to process it. Avery nodded in the direction of the passage and Miss Arione. You might want to go speak to the spacer, Ishmael curiosity furrowing my brow, I placed my half-empty mug on the table and unfolded myself from the bench. As I crossed the mess deck toward Miss she backed into the passageway and out of the line of sight from the table. I stopped just outside the door and looked at her. Miss please hear me out, Captain. She looked up at me with some expression in her eyes that I couldn't quite fathom. You've got my attention, Miss Will you take me with you, sir? Take you with me? I felt almost like a parrot. "'I'm going on to the beach, Miss Arione.' She gave me an impatient toss of her cropped head and an equally impatient look. "'That's temporary, Skipper, and you need me now.' "'I need you, Miss Arione.' I tried to keep the humor from my voice because this woman didn't see anything funny about her statement, and I knew I better not either. "'Sar, in about a week, maybe less if the newsies catch on, you're going to need a bodyguard.' The astonishment rendered me speechless for a moment, and I turned to look at where Gwen and Avery still watched me from the galley table. Gentle amusement on their faces did nothing to help my comprehension. "'A bodyguard, Miss Arione. Why would I need a bodyguard?' "'Because, sir, you will become the richest bachelor in Diurnia. The story will make the rounds, and you're going to be hounded by newsies, mongers, and the gold diggers.' "'Aren't you being a little premature, Miss Arione?' To her credit, she thought before answering. Maybe. But if you wait until you realize you need me, I'll be gone. The Agamemnon will have sailed. Worse, you'll already be buried and digging you out will be more difficult. This way we have the foundations built before we need to actually construct the fort. I saw a tiny wince flash across her face at that, like she'd said something she hadn't meant to. I ran a hand over my head and down the back of my neck. You're talking like you think I'm going to be in actual physical danger. She gave a half-shrug. "'That too, Skipper, but I didn't expect I could convince you of that. "'I'm going to be unemployed. How can I afford you? "'You're not without assets, Captain, "'and in a week you're going to be independently wealthy. "'I considered her for a moment before taking a new tack. "'What about the ship? Have you talked to Captain Thomas about it?' "'Even as I asked, I knew the answer. "'Of course, sir. I talked to her first. The ship can find any number of qualified ratings to take my place. There's a waiting list at home office. By the time a new first mate is in place, Captain Thomas can have three replacements for me. You've given this a lot more thought than I've had time to consider, Miss Arione. Yes, Captain, and one more reason. I think you need me. I crossed my arms and frowned at her in concentration. Okay, Miss Arione, you've tried hard to convince me that I need you. Why do you want to do this job? I've got no job a future dependent on the outcome of an auction that hasn't even been completed yet, and the very real feeling that I'm stepping into the abyss in terms of my career. Why do you want to come along? Two reasons, sir. First, you're a winner. Whatever you do, you do okay. It's not always the top, and it's almost never what you think, but you always come out ahead, if only a little bit. Always. But I don't even know what I'm going to be doing tomorrow, let alone next week. How can you tie yourself to that? "'That's the second reason, sir. I believe in you.' "'You believe in me, Miss Arione?' "'You took a chance on me, sir. It wasn't that long ago, if you'll remember.' "'I remember, Miss Arione. Nobody ever took that kind of risk for me before, Captain. Nobody.' "'So this is some kind of gratitude thing?' She shook her head. "'No, sir. This is a very selfish thing. You're going to go a long way, and you need somebody to watch your back. I want to be that somebody, because then I get to go along for the ride.' She grinned, and for the first time she looked more like the Arione I knew. I expect it's going to be one heck of a ride, too, Skipper. Assuming I agree, I held my hand in the face of blossoming hope, and I haven't yet, but if I do, what do you want? Want, Skipper? Pay, Miss Arione, fiscal remuneration. How much will your services send me back? She took a deep breath, and I feared what she'd say. Quarter share salary until you get a ship again, Skipper. When we set sail, I'd like a full share of berth and to continue with you. What if I don't get a settlement from the Chernyakova? What if I can't get a ship? She scratched her head. Well, the settlement's a done deal except for just how rich you're going to be. You're going to get another ship, either as an indie or by signing on with somebody. I can't see you sitting around burning oxygen when you could be out there, Skipper. She tossed her head in the direction of the deep dark. I'll tell you what, give me a month. If you're not happy with the arrangement after a month, I'll walk away. You owe me nothing. You never hear from me again. Are you certain, Miss Arione? She nodded solemnly. Yes, Captain, I am. Would you let me chat with Captain Thomas and Mr. Wyatt a moment? She blinked at the sudden shift in direction. Of course, Captain. I walked back to the table and took my seat. You two knew about this. Gwen grinned. Of course. Why do you think it took so long for you to get away? I coughed a sharp laugh. You were stalling me. Avery nodded. Fred, so, Captain. You seem to approve of this little drama. Can I ask why? Gwen nodded and leaned in on her elbows. She spoke to me this morning. She's right. You need a bodyguard, or you will soon. You'll need a personal assistant, at least. Somebody to keep the world at arm's length until you can get back out into the deep dark. Everybody keeps saying that, I muttered. Maybe it's time you started listening. I looked back and forth between them. They both seemed utterly convinced. What'll this do to the Agamemnon? Gwen gave me a disapproving look. That's my problem, Ishmael, not yours. She grinned. But we're fine. There are several nice young people who've said they want to work here, and I can have my choice of a half a dozen as early as tomorrow morning. I hung my head inside. Sorry, Gwen. Old habits. I heard her laugh softly. Is it the credits? She asked. I looked up at her the credits. The reason you don't want to hire her. I don't have a ship. I'd take her in a heartbeat if I had a ship. Rent one, Avery said. We both looked at him. Rent a ship? Look, you think you don't have a job for her, right? You're going to be unemployed? Well, yeah, that's kind of the point of being beached. You're not going to be unemployed. You're going to be starting a business. Whether you succeed at it or not, your job is going to be to secure your funding, get to ship, line up a crew, and get sailing. He ticked the items off on his fingers. You know that young woman out there is tough, resourceful, street-smart, and absolutely dedicated to you. It seems pretty straightforward to me. Rent an office and think of it as a docked vessel. All your work will be here for a while. As the enormity of what he said hit me, I sat heavily on the bench again. Crap. It wasn't very elegant, but it expressed my feelings. They both snickered. I held out my hand to Avery. Thank you, Avery. It's been an honor to serve with you. He shook the hand and smiled. The honor has been mine, Captain. You've given me more than you'll ever know. I extended the same hand to Gwen. Safe voyage, Captain. Thank you for all you've done. She gave my hand a gentle shake for her. Thank you, Captain. And safe voyage. I entangled myself from the bench for the last time and walked back to where a nervous-looking Stacy Arione was trying not to bite her lip as she waited in the passage. All right, Miss Arione, welcome aboard. You know how to maneuver a trunk the grin that splashed onto her face threatened to overwhelm her. No, Skipper, but I'm willing to learn. Okay, well, let me get them out of the ship and you can practice out on the docks where there's room to maneuver. I went back and snagged the control handle on my grav trunks and gingerly maneuvered them out from behind the ladder. They skated free of the deck and followed obediently along as I towed them behind me. Come along, Miss Arione, We need to find a place to sleep and I need to get changed for dinner. Somewhere along the way we need to figure out how to deal with calendars and cons and credits. She snagged her duffel bags, hooking one over each shoulder. She waved to Gwen and Avery, still seated at the table, but smiling at us as we walked away. In a matter of a few ticks, we'd checked out of the ship for the last time, and our mass records had been zeroed. As I worked the graph trunks down off the ramp onto the docks, it occurred to me that I hadn't seen Chief Gerhardt since lunch. Just as well, probably. I must have muttered it aloud because Miss Arione asked, Excuse me, Skipper. I shook my head. Nothing, Miss Arione, just thinking aloud. "'I pointed to the back of the last grav trunk. "'There's clips back there. You can clip your duffel to them.' "'She looked carefully and found them, latching a bag to each clip. "'The grav trunks didn't so much as wobble. "'Okay, now come take this handle, and I'll show you how it works. "'We had a few giggles and only had to drop them once "'to keep the whole mass from skidding into a party of spacers "'standing outside one of the locks. "'By the time we got onto the lift, she'd mastered the basics.' She did better than I usually did by gently backing the trunks onto the lift rather than towing them on and getting caught between the trunks and the back wall. As she locked the trunks down, I pressed the button that took us up to the eight deck. Up, Skipper. Yes, Miss Arione. I thought we'd be going down to transient quarters. We're not exactly transient, are we, Miss Arione? She thought about it for a few heartbeats while the lift moved smoothly up the shaft. I guess not, Skipper. The lift opened on eight, and I held the doors while Miss Arione gently slid the trunks out onto the promenade. When she was clear, I stepped out behind her and headed off to starboard around the orbital. Where are we going, Captain? LaGrange Point. The hotel? Yes, Miss I felt her stiffen, and she missed a step that almost caught her foot under the graft trunk behind her. I caught her before there was any serious damage and looked into a pair of worried eyes. Is there a problem, Miss she stopped and shook her head, as much as if she were trying to clear it as much as in negation. "'No, Captain, it's just—well, you took me by surprise. I thought we'd take rooms down on O four. 4 We may wind up there, Miss I don't have reservations at the LaGrange.' She looked at me curiously. "'Then why?' "'Something Mr. Wyatt said just before we left the ship.' "'What was that, sir?' "'I'm not unemployed. I'm starting a business.' She digested that for a moment. Okay, I can see that, I guess, Sar, but what does that get to do with the room at the LaGrange Point? First rule of business, Miss Arione. She arched an eyebrow. Location, location, location. She grinned at me. Skipper, you never cease to amaze me. I'm still working on a muse, Miss Arione, but I'll settle for a maze on an interim basis. Sar? Never mind, Miss Arione. Let's see if there's a room at the inn. We made it to the LaGrange Point without further incident, and the concierge greeted me as I walked through the door. "'Captain Wong, welcome to the LaGrange Point.' I stopped in confusion for a moment before Mazzarione whispered, "'Ship suit.' Chagrined at the obvious answer, I nodded to the concierge and returned the favor by reading his name tag. "'Thank you, Robert. Is there a place we can park these while I see to accommodations?' "'Of course, Captain. If you just slide them over here, they'll be quite safe.' He indicated a sheltered alcove just around the corner from the main door. "'Miss gingerly maneuvered the trunks "'without bashing any of the trim on the bulkheads "'or crushing any of the decorative plants. "'I admired her skill and privately doubted "'I could have done as well. "'The front desk is straight ahead, Captain. "'They should have your suite ready.' "'Thank you, Robert,' I said, "'already looking ahead to the front desk "'and letting his comment wash over me. Your suite, Skipper. "'I didn't think you had a reservation.' "'I didn't either.' The walk to the desk was too short to allow further speculation, and the desk clerk also greeted me by name. "'Welcome to the LaGrange Point, Captain Wong. Your suite is ready for you. We hope you'll enjoy your stay with us.' He held out a tab for me to thumb. "'The room charges have already been taken care of, of course, but if you'd just sign for incidentals.' "'Already taken care of?' I asked, even as I reached for the tab, without really thinking about it. "'Of course, Captain. Miss Kingsley alerted us that you and your guest—' His eyes flickered to Miss Arione very briefly, and I got the distinct impression that she wasn't exactly what he was expecting, but he didn't quibble, would be arriving this afternoon. "'And did Miss Kingsley say how long I'd be staying?' He smiled his best desk clerk smile. "'As long as you want, Captain.' The clerk's very polite gaze flickered back and forth between the two of us, and he carefully did not let any curiosity show." If you would like to register as well, Miss Arione, having your name on file will permit you to order room service and take advantage of all the other amenities offered by the LaGrange Point. She reached forward and thumbed the tab, if somewhat more cautiously than I had. Thank you, Miss Arione. He turned back to me. We've put you in the forest suite and hope you enjoy it. If there's anything we can do to make your stay more enjoyable, please don't hesitate to call. My name is Jules, and I'll be on until midnight, should either of you need anything. Thank you, Jules. He leaned forward, and with a flattened palm held vertically, he indicated a passage to our right. Just follow the corridor at the end of the hall, take a right, and the fourth suite will be on your left. Robert will deliver your baggage, unless you'd rather convey it yourself. I glanced over my shoulder and saw Robert maneuver the grav-trunks out of the alcove and head in our direction, expertly avoiding every obstacle without even looking over his shoulder. Thank you. That will be fine. Enjoy your stay, then, Captain, he nodded to me. Miserione. He nodded to her, and we sashayed off down the corridor in the direction he indicated. As we picked our way through the maze of passages, Miss Arione spoke softly. They must want something very big, Skipper. Yes, Miss Arione, they do. You know what it is, then? Yes, Miss Arione. Okay, then. The doubt in her voice came through clearly. It was a long corridor, but eventually we came to a door marked FOREST, and I thumbed the lock. It popped open, and I pushed into a large and sumptuously appointed living room with sofas, easy chairs, a large entertainment unit, and even windows opening onto an amazing view of the planet below. Discreet doors on either end of the room opened into sleeping accommodations. The one I could see into looked as large as my whole cabin on the Agamemnon. As we stood there, just inside the door, I heard a discreet cough and stepped aside as Robert maneuvered the slaved trunks through the narrow door and into the suite. "'Which way for the luggage, Captain?' Miss seemed to snap to alertness at the question, and I watched her scan the room briefly. "'You're down there, Captain.' Her voice was flat and commanding as she pointed to the far door. Robert looked at me with a question in his eye, and I nodded to the door. "'Very good, Captain.' He slid the trunks between the furnishings and disappeared through the door without incident. In a moment he came back. "'May I show you the amenities of the forest suite, sir?' "'Please.' He spent five full ticks showing us how to deal with food, laundry, entertainment, and even hot-and-cold running personal servants, should we desire them. When he finally ran down, I made a little thumb-pinch gesture, and he offered his tab for me to code and then press. Most kind, Captain. Thank you. He swept out of the room, pulling the door closed behind him as he went. I heard the electronic lock snap as he did so. So, Miss room choice? You've got a method in your madness?' Security, Skipper. You don't answer the door. That's why I'm here. Since I have to answer the door, I sleep next to it. She pointed out the proximity of the main door to her room. You sleep down there. If there's a problem, you'll have more time to get out and a better chance of escape. Are you serious, Miss Arione? You're planning escape routes? She sighed and gave me a disgusted look. Someone has to, Skipper. I wasn't entirely certain if she was serious or if she just spent too much time with Mr. Paul... "'She shook her head. "'If you never need them, what's the harm? "'If you do, won't you be glad you've got them?' "'You frighten me a bit, Miss Arione. "'I think that's fair, Skipper. "'You frighten me, too.' "'Chapter 13, Diurnia Orbital, December 20, 2372. "'By 1900, I knew that dinner was going to be a challenge.' "'Do you expect you're going to loiter about in Marseilles, Miss Arione?' "'Of course not, Skipper, but I am going with you, "'at least as far as the door, and I'll be there when you come out.' "'I don't know how long I'll be.' "'Neither do I, I'm sure, Skipper.' "'She looked somewhat exasperated. "'And I'm also sure it doesn't matter. "'We've got to work out these procedures before we need them, "'and this is a perfect chance.' "'Do you think somebody is going to mug me "'between here and Marcel's, Miss Arione? "'It's two decks up and near the lift.' "'I think, Captain.' she answered with just a touch of asperity in her voice, that if I were going to mug somebody, it would be a rich somebody, like somebody leaving a high-end restaurant who might have had just a bit too much to drink and was on his way to a high-end hotel that was close enough to be careless about. I sighed. Unfortunately, I could see her point. I wondered if Jeff Maloney had had these kinds of conversations with Kurt. I'd never seen Jeff in public without a shadow, and even as a shadow, Kurt often made his presence known. Too bad Kurt hadn't been with Maloney in his home. He might have called for help. If I were Maloney and Miss Arione were Kurt, I suspected Kurt would be in the next booth at Marcel's. No, I could feel my eyes half closed as I considered. He'd have a table near the entrance, where he could see both his boss and the front door as well as maintain situational awareness of the room. We hadn't gotten quite that far along yet, and I wasn't about to take her to dinner with Kirsten and her mysterious friends. I put on some civvies, Miss and... Nothing too obvious in terms of cutlery, please. She grinned and headed for her room while I sighed and went back to mine to finish dressing for dinner. I hadn't had a decent suit in stanniers, and still had the data chip engraved with Henri Roubaix's initial in my grav-trunk, but in all my travels had not yet found his like. Instead of civvies I chose my dress uniform. Granted, it wasn't as stylish as, say, a Roubaix or even a bruchot, but it was better than off the rack, and it fit well. On an orbital, dress blues would not stand out, and they were always in fashion. I finished dressing and reached for the shiny new stars, but on a whim, dug in the top of my grab trunk and pulled out a pair of old, well-worn ones. They weren't polished to a high sheen, nor were they pristine. One star had a point that wasn't quite all there. They'd belonged to Freddie de Groot's grandfather, and he'd handed them down to her in the hope that she'd make captain one day. She did, and she passed them on to me when she retired. I admired the dull glow reflected from the surface in the old metal. In less than a tick, I'd fastened them to my collar and, after one last check in the mirror, went out to meet Miss in the sitting room. "'You're wearing that?' she asked. "'What's wrong with it?' she sighed. "'You're right, but you need to get some better clothing. You'll be able to afford it soon.' Stung by her words, I shot back. "'I can afford it now, but I can't find a decent tailor.' For her part, I couldn't fault Miss Arione's choice of dress—a close-fitting black leather jacket over a shockingly white men's Oxford shirt, and a pair of jeans tucked into a stylish pair of black boots with a collection of straps, chains, and metal buckles. "'Do I pass, Captain?' she asked, with a lilt to her voice. "'Oh, sorry, yes. Very nice, actually.' She blinked, obviously surprised by my approval. "'At 1950 we headed for the lift. "'Do you have a book? Something to entertain yourself with?' I asked, as we left the lobby of the LaGrange Point." I'll be fine, Skipper, and I can't watch your back while I'm reading a book, so relax. She murmured her response in a way that surprised me. It was loud enough for me to hear, but I doubt that anybody more than five meters away would have even realized she'd spoken. I sighed and didn't respond, instead leading the way to the lift and riding up the two decks to Marcel's. As we came around the promenade and saw the facade of the restaurant, Miss grinned up at me. Have a nice time, Skipper. I'll just join the boys across the way. With that cryptic remark, she peeled off and walked along the inside curve of the promenade, idly window-shopping as she went, but pacing my progress around the curve of the orbital. As we got up to where the restaurant's front opened to the public, I saw that, not quite directly across the way, a small bistro served an eclectic collection of people at a counter and on small tables set up like a sidewalk café. I didn't take time to really look, but while there were some older people enjoying the ambience, most of the patrons were either shockingly chic or dressed in conservative suits. The suits surprised me until I realized that every one of them reminded me of Kurt. I snickered to myself a little and was not very surprised to see Miss Arione sidle up to a table where one of the shockingly chic young men was seated and help herself to a chair, one where she had a clear view of the door to Marcel's and both directions along the promenade. In Marcel's, the maitre d greeted me with an appropriately supercilious arch of the eyebrow. Maloney, I asked. The eyebrow retracted at the name, and he consulted his list ostentatiously. A paper list, with names handwritten on it. I knew he didn't actually look at it, because I spotted the name even upside down and across the top of the desk. It was on the other side of the page, from where he slid one long, immaculately manicured finger down. I wondered if he could actually read, or if he were just merely well-trained. Yes, of course. He turned and walked into the restaurant, without watching to see if I'd follow. Right this way, Captain. I followed, but slowly, strolling comfortably through the restaurant and looking at the clothing the men wore. The maitre d' stopped at a booth with a curved banquette behind a half-oval table. He turned with a flourish, expecting me to be on his heels and exhibiting a flash of exasperation when he had to wait for me to catch up. Your party, Captain. His words were bitten off, and he flounced away without waiting to see if anybody at the table actually recognized me or not. Kirsten Kingsley flashed me a smile from the back side of the booth. "'Captain, so nice of you to join us. Please have a seat.' She indicated a place at the end of the banquette, beside a rather attractive woman, perhaps in her late twenties, and dressed in a simple camel-colored suit. "'Thank you, Miss Kingsley,' I said with a smile and nodding slightly. "'Kirsten, please, we're among friends here tonight.' She smiled around at her dining companions. "'Across from you, Veronica Dalmati.' "'Charmed, madam,' I started to get up, but she impatiently waved me back to my seat. "'Sit, dear boy. We'll shake hands later, if you like.' I don't remember the last time somebody called me dear boy, but the woman was certainly qualified. She wore a smartly tailored pinstripe business suit in charcoal gray wool over a cream-colored blouse. Her sharp green eyes peered from beneath snowy brows, and her lips pursed in a suppressed smile. No one would mistake her for a kindly grandmother, although I suspected she'd be fun to play cards with. Miss Kingsley continued, Next to her, this distinguished-looking gentleman is William Simpson. I nodded to him, and he nodded back. Captain, he said in acknowledgment. Another centenarian, if I had to guess, bald as an egg and dressed in a rumpled tweed with a knit tie the likes of which I hadn't seen since I'd left Neris. He had that air of Professor Emeritus about him. Doctor Simpson? I hazarded. His eyebrows twitched in surprise. A half century ago, Captain. The tweed gave it away. He had a pleasant smile that actually reached his eyes. Kirsten looked surprised. Willie, you're a doctor. All these years, and I never knew. "'He reached over with one rather spindly hand "'and patted her forearm. "'No reason you should, Kirsten. "'I haven't used the title since before you were born, I suspect.' "'He inclined his head to me with a kind of wry salute. "'And can you guess my field, Captain?' "'I narrowed my eyes in concentration, "'squinting as if looking back through the years. "'I'd guess economics.' "'Close enough,' he grinned. "'Intuition. "'We're known by the company we keep, sir,' "'I glanced around the table.' His laugh was a hoarse whisper, but he nodded. Indeed, Captain, indeed. Kirsten had a strange look on her face when I looked at her for the next introduction, but she continued playing the Mistress of Ceremonies role by turning to the woman beside me. Before Kirsten could speak, the woman turned a carefully blank face to me and said, Perhaps you can guess who I am, Captain. Her softly tailored suit looked like cashmere, but it was the eyes that gave it away. You have your father's eyes, Miss Maloney. "'You seem pretty sure of yourself, Captain Huang.' "'I considered it. "'Kirsten's face told me I was right, "'and the couple across from us watched with an eagerness "'that bordered on fascination. "'Situational awareness, Miss Maloney.' "'One perfectly formed eyebrow arched briefly "'before reverting to a position of affected disinterest. "'Situational awareness, Captain. "'If this meeting is what I believe it is, "'and our charming dinner companions are who I believe them to be, "'then the only person left is you.' "'Are you always this arrogant, Captain?' "'No, actually. I got the arrogance out on home trial this week. If I like it, I get to keep it. If not, I revert to simple boorishness.' I hope they look confident and not merely arrogant. The elderly pair across the table had to be investors that Kirsten had rounded up, and impressing them would be the point of the dinner. The air was my test. The waiter interrupted our standoff, and we placed orders all around. I ordered the braised beefalo dish with fresh carrots and a sautéed potato base— Veronica ordered chicken that came with a light-colored sauce, served over steamed rice. Dr. Simpson ordered a pork chop with extra applesauce, while Kirsten and Christine both ordered grilled fish. The meal started with a light soup and carried through a vast collection of possible desserts, none of which I had room for. Over the course of the meal, I learned a great deal about Miss Delmati and her collection of late husbands, something of Dr. Simpson and almost nothing of Christine Maloney, other than she was severely piqued and I didn't need to be a mind-reader to guess the cause. What I did not learn was what the manipulative Miss Kingsley had in mind. When the last of the plates had been cleared, I thought we'd get down to business. I was surprised when the party, in fact, broke up. Miss Delmati started the exodus. Kirsten, my dear, it was lovely. Thank you for inviting me. She slid sideways off the bench to stand beside the table. I stood and offered my hand. It was nice meeting you, Miss Delmati. "'Call me Ronnie, dear boy. "'Miss Delmati makes me feel like I'm somebody's grandmother.' "'The acerbic Dr. Simpson piped up. "'You are somebody's great-grandmother, Ronnie. Stop flirting.' "'His jibe was offered in good humor, "'and Miss Delmati returned a very ungrandmotherly hand gesture "'and a sparkling smile in return. "'Kirsten seemed a bit shocked, but Dr. Simpson pursed his lips "'and blew Ronnie a kiss before extricating himself from the seat "'and stepping up beside her. "'Age had bowed him a bit, but he didn't seem overly discommoded by it. As he cleared the edge of the table, he offered his hand to me as well. "'Thank you for a most entertaining evening, Captain.' "'Thank you, sir. It was my distinct pleasure.' "'Oddly, it was. I really liked the rascally old couple, and it came to me that they were a couple as they stood there.' "'Kiss-ass,' he muttered as he smiled. I'm not sure anybody else at the table heard it as Miss Dalmati was reaching over to speak to Christine Maloney. He patted my shoulder in a decidedly avuncular manner and added, "'Come see me tomorrow at my office. We'll talk turkey.' Your office, sir. He frowned and then pulled a card out of his side pocket and pressed it into my hand. My office. He winked at me and stepped up to offer his farewells to Miss Maloney as well, before taking Miss Delmardi by the arm and leading her off between the tables. Christine Maloney took advantage of the open bench to make good her own escape. Standing, she frowned at Kirsten. Keep me informed, Kirsten. She looked at me inside before striding off between the tables. Kirsten sat on the far side of the table, her head shaking back and forth and a worried frown on her face. She saw me looking at her and immediately brightened her expression. That went well. I barked a laugh so loud that people at the next table looked up at annoyance. She covered her mouth with a hand and I thought she stifled a giggle or two of her own. You want to talk about it? I asked. Yeah, but not here. She slid out of the booth, standing and stretching. We wandered outside, and I saw Mazzarione had amassed a collection of pretty young things at the table with her. She saw me come out of the restaurant with Kirsten and frowned. I gave her a little shake of the head, and the frown deepened. Kirsten and I strolled very slowly along the promenade, and after a few moments she glanced at me out of the corner of her eye. You did pretty well. Thanks. Only pretty well. Yeah, the mentalist act in the beginning made you look a bit like a know-it-all, but you worked through it. Thanks for putting me on the spot. I wasn't sure who I'd managed to convince to show up. I wasn't even sure Christine would be there. She gave me another glance. She's pretty angry about the whole situation. I don't blame her. You don't? No. How would you feel if your millionaire father hung your inheritance on enforced servitude for a stanier? Billionaire, she corrected. Even worse. Why enforced servitude, she asked. What would you call it? She has to take a job she doesn't want, in an environment she doesn't care about, for a paycheck that's smaller than the interest on her last dividend check. Oh. Yeah, oh. But how else is she going to learn about how a clipper works? That's not what I'm supposed to teach her. It's not? I shook my head. If it were, she'd be on a ship to Port Newmar right now. Kirsten digested that for a time, staring blankly into the windows of a high-end jewelry shop. Then what are you supposed to teach her? Honestly, I'm not sure. She shot me a withering stare. You said you knew. I said I think I know. Big difference. She shrugged and continued walking. I fell into step with her. Then what do you think, she asked. Well, at first I thought it was to give her a taste for the distances that we're talking about here. Hauling freight is a lot more than just pick it up here and drop it off there. It's a long, cold, dark walk home if things go wrong, and whoever has the helm on your Enterprise needs to have a good grasp of that. She considered it for a bit. That actually sounds pretty good. She thought about it for a moment longer before looking up at me. But you don't think that's it? Well, it can't hurt, but no. I think it's more fundamental, if a bit clichéd. Okay, now you've got me really curious. I think it's respect. Kirsten stopped in mid-stride and turned to me. Respect? What? For herself? She shook her head. Trust me, that's one woman who is perfectly comfortable in her own skin... I shook my head. "'For others?' she barked a laugh. "'That's more of a cliché than the first. I shook my head again. "'I don't think that's it, either. "'That's not something her father would see as required in a CEO.' She looked at me sharply. "'Just how well did you know him?' "'Not that well,' she shrugged and continued walking. "'You've got him nailed pretty well for somebody you don't know. "'Don't get me wrong. "'He recognized talent and he respected expertise, "'but it was more like a resource to be exploited than anything else.' Yeah, that was my impression as well. I didn't have any problem with it. He was what he was, mostly. She snickered at that. So what, then? I think she needs to learn how to earn it. She looked up at me again, but didn't stop walking. That would be a valuable skill for somebody at the top. What makes you think she doesn't know already? I don't, but it's the only thing that makes sense. And being a lonely quarter share teaches you that? Depends on the circumstances, but it's as good a place as any. We walked along for a few meters before she glanced at me again. So what did you think of Ronnie and Willie? I love them. She's such a sweetie, and he's a charming old fuddy-duddy. She shot a glance at me. You think that? Oh, yeah. I looked at her. What? You think she made all that money from being a cutthroat, take-no-prisoners businesswoman? Um, Yeah. I shook my head. That probably didn't hurt, but she made her money by being a shrewd judge of character. Mean people only see other people as mean. That's all they know, and they distrust anybody who isn't. Well, ain't you Mr. Wisdom, she said with a grin. That's Captain Wisdom to you. What about Willie? Dr. William Simpson, brilliant economist, left his academic career to put his theories into practice, made too much money to go back and set up shop as a financial advisor to the rich and upcoming. She blinked at me, consternation plain on her face. You know him? I shook my head and held out the card he'd pressed into my hand. Lark Simpson and Green. He's the Simpson, isn't he? Yeah, he was Philo Maloney's advisor when he first started DST. I figured. Give. Something Richard Lark said and something you said. I'm not letting you go until you tell me. Lark said the firm was the advisor to Philo Maloney, but he's not old enough to advise me on how to get a school loan. He also doesn't understand spacers. Okay, I'll give you that. What did I say? You were surprised by the advice he gave me. And that told you all that about Willie? I shook my head. My mother was an ancient lit professor back on Nerys. I grew up on a college campus from the time I was four. He was a professor for so long, he can't shuck himself out of the tweed, or more likely cultivates it. He's old enough to be advisor to Philo, and if he left academe that long ago, it has to have been for a reason. But he never went back. There had to be a reason for that, too. Okay, Captain Wisdom, you get high marks for sorting out my dinner party. Maybe you can tell me where it went wrong. What makes you think it went wrong? Well, I kind of expected we'd have a nice business meeting over our post-Prandial cocktails, and it would end up with your getting some advice and a big pile of money and winning over our new CEO. Oh, I shrugged. I kind of thought that too, but it wasn't necessary. No, why do you say that? Ronnie's already decided to invest in me, and she got Willie to set up the meeting for tomorrow to find out how much she needs to kick in. You sound pretty sure of that. Where do you think I got the card? From Willie. And where do you think Willie is right now? She laughed quietly, trying not to be the next late Mr. Dalmati. And do you think he'd have given me the card if Ronnie hadn't given him the high sign? She stopped laughing and frowned at the carpet as she walked. We walked in silence for about a quarter of the way around the promenade. Okay, Captain Wisdom, she said. What about Christine? I sighed at that one. She's going to be very, very tough. She snorted. Well, Captain, obvious. I'll give you full points on that one. I like to think I know my limits. She laughed again at that. Speaking of limits, I'm at about the end of mine. Is Miss Arione with you? She turned to look at where the woman in question was studiously looking in a shop window full of china. She's been following us ever since she came out of the restaurant. Yeah, she seems to think I need a bodyguard. How did you know? She nodded her head at a wiry, dark-haired young man studying the menu in the window of a closed restaurant behind us. He's mine. Is it really necessary? I don't know. It didn't help Jeff in the end, although Kurt probably discouraged a lot of problems before they started. That's a good point. She looked at me curiously. By the way, where's Greta? Chief Gearhart? That would be the Greta in question, yes. Back on the Agamemnon, I think. Why? The question caught me sideways, and I couldn't figure out where it came from. "'Still on the Agamemnon?' She looked at me like I had suddenly grown a second head. "'Good gods, man, you don't need a bodyguard. You need a keeper.' "'What's that mean?' "'It means it's time to get Miss Arione over here "'and we'll call it a night.' She held out her hand. "'Good night, Captain Huang. You were doing really well right up to the end.' I shook her hand, but the sense of bewilderment wrapped me in a fog as the wiry young man swooped in and escorted her away even before Miss Arione could cross the promenade. "'What was that last bit about, Skipper?' she asked, looking at the retreated backs. I don't know, Miss Arione. I just don't know. Thanks for listening to Owner's Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. Music is Larry O'Gaff, a traditional tune performed by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad, and is used with permission of the artists. You can find this and other works by Ragtime Larry and Tom Joad on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation of Durandis, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution No Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 U.S. License. For more information about the book, the author, or the golden age of the solar clipper, visit www.solarclipper.com.